A Broken Down Old Man And it came to pass, after the death of his wife and the days of mourning being ended, that Jonathan became sick himself. And he called his sons and daughters unto him, and spake these words upon them, Behold, thy mother is dead, bury me also with her, for my life is burdened by distress and by reason of great anguish. And he placed his hand upon and blessed them. And it came to pass that when his children heard these words, that they wept sore, and said one to another, What shall we do? And the eldest spake these words unto them, Behold, there is a man in the great city of New York, who healeth all manner of pain in a moment. Behold, we will take our father thither. And when they heard these words, they brought forth bags of gold, silver, and precious stones as a present to the doctor in the great city. And Jehu spake yet again, and said, Behold, the great doctor will take no gold, silver, or precious stones, but removeth all pain without cost for rich or poor. And they saddled their beasts, and took the old man, and journeyed many days, and came to the great city of New York. And they lifted the old man, and carried him tenderly unto Dr. Walcott, in Chatham Square, number 170. And the doctor looked upon their father, and saw that he was very sick, and nigh unto death. And the doctor led him into a private room. And it came to pass, after he was stripped, that the doctor took a liquid called pain paint, and dipped a brush into it, and painted him. And behold, while the doctor was yet painting, the old man recovered and stood up, and immediately walked as before times. And the children gathered together and embraced him with great joy. They also filled their bags with bottles of pain paint, and took their departure with music and gladness. And they told the people as they journeyed. And the people marveled greatly. But when they saw the bottles of pain paint which they had bought, they offered money and bought also for their own sick folks. And certain men called druggists sent to the great city and bought much pain paint to sell, which removed all pains of any nature, and they bought also much instant pain annihilator for catarrh in the head. Behold, it is now sold everywhere for twenty-five cents, fifty cents, a dollar, and five dollars per bottle, and has only white wrappers on the bottles, not brown wrappers. Oh, he tightened the air with the greatest of ease, a daring young man on the dying Hi there, this is Hugh Yeeman, and you're listening to Historic Headlines, the podcast where we gain historical insight by examining newspaper articles from 50, 100, and 150 years ago this week. There's too much confusion. I can't get no relief. Hey there, welcome back to the Syracuse mayoral election of 1868. For details on the politics surrounding that, from the personal right on up to the presidential, see episode 5. Today we're going to finish up with the newspaper articles from February 15th, three days before the election, 
We're going to see what kind of nasty stuff the Standard has to say about Green. And then we're going to look in on the Courier and see how they defend their democratic hero. So here's the Standard. Note the accusations of political graft in the form of buying votes, because that accusation will come up on both sides. Also note the reference to the 18th New York Regiment. I've provided a link for that in the show notes. Our charter election, in the character of the candidates, rises to the dignity of a national contest. Bear this in mind and come out to vote as you would at a presidential election. The democracy will sweep everything for votes for John A. Green. Let no Republican be caught in the trap thus laid. Vote the straight ticket, for every name upon it is a good one, and every one can be elected. Let no Republican who is disposed to leave the city before Tuesday think of so doing. Subordinate business considerations for once, for the good of the city in which you live and the country in which you are an elector. Every vote will count this time. We wonder if the Democratic leaders really think that the city of Syracuse can be carried for the Democratic ticket by a profuse expenditure of money. Never were the appliances for buying votes so unblushingly made use of. Let the honest electors, who believe in honest means to elect honest men, counteract these vile influences by such earnest work as shall completely neutralize them. Greeniana. In 1861, John A. Green wrote, This accursed fraternal contest into which Mr. Lincoln has hastened us, in contempt of the Constitution he had just sworn to support, is the long-foreseen result of the wicked and persistent assaults made by the party which now holds power in these northern states upon the rights and property of their fellow citizens of the South. In 1868, John A. Green asks the votes of loyal men and soldiers of the Republic. Shall he have them? In 1861, John A. Green wrote, Every citizen is likely to measure the degree of support he gives to the war by his judgment of its righteousness and support. In 1868, John A. Green can truly say that he at least gave it no support. In 1861, John A. Green wrote, A war of subjugation against the South was commenced. In 1868, he is too disingenuous to own that the war has resulted in the establishment of the liberties of all the people. In 1861, John A. Green wrote, Convinced of the wrongfulness, injustice, and inexpediency of this most causeless and unauthorized war thus forced upon us, Convinced by passing events that the policy has been promotive of disunion, I have been led to believe that the true union men are not those who threaten devastation and slaughter, but they who invoke the persuasive influence and power of peace. This while the men of the 18th were at the front fighting for the union and the constitution. And it is from such men that John A. Green has the impudence in 1868 to solicit votes. In 1861, John A. Green wrote, While giving to the government ample means to defend the adhering states if assailed, I would have the people forbid the march of federal troops beyond the borders of those states. 
This, when state after state had seceded and the Union was crumbling into fragments with no means for its salvation save the coercion of southern bayonets. In 1868, in a northern city, in a reunited land, the man who penned such words dares to brave his record and solicit the votes of loyal men. Let the people show him that they remember. In 1861, John A. Green wrote, The more popular the war today, the more odious and repulsive will it appear hereafter. In 1868, let the people show by their votes that the war for the Union will be always popular in their hearts and memories, and that he only is unpopular, odious, and repulsive, who sued erringly for peace when treason menaced the stability of the government. The effrontery of the Democratic Party in nominating John A. Green approaches the sublime. Do Democrats think the people have no memories? Do they think the tears are all dried and the dead all forgotten and the heroism all sunk into oblivion? Do they trade upon the credulity or the pockets of the people? Let us frankly tell them that either game is a desperate and a losing one. There is not money enough to buy the people, and there is not charlatanry enough to impose upon them. If they do not believe this, let next Tuesday open their eyes. Under other circumstances, John A. Green might perhaps triumph, but with all his daring, he is not strong enough to fight his own record. Historic Headlines will return after this word from our sponsor. Fools physic drink, and never think, tis poison to the body. They don't suppose this source of woes is constipation's hobby. With turpentine and pepper fine, try curing rheumatism. This fiery smart, they call it art, is perfect heathenism. If a man, woman, or child wants fun, he can, she can, or it can laugh till their eyes are swimming in tears. Tis better than going to a theater. Yes, it is. I will tell you how to get it. Go to Dr. Wolcott's office, 170 Chatham Square, New York, or 33 and a half Pearl Street, Albany, and at all hours of the day you will see women, men, boys, and girls painting themselves with a liquid called pain paint. Anybody who suffers any kind of pain, from the sole of the foot to the crown, can have it removed free of cost. Of course it brings out a crowd. Dr. Wolcott is as busy as a flea in a nightcap, and a dozen of his men besides, painting the hardest cases, and the rest are set to work with a brush and a cup of pain paint, to painting their own knees for rheumatism, feet for bunions, cheeks for toothaches, and some are painting each other, while a crowd outside is waiting to get painted. It is amusing in the extreme, and can never be forgotten. It is worth a day's ride behind a locomotive to see and get one peep. Pain paint has created more excitement than any remedy ever introduced, and is now sold at all druggists, from 25 cents to $5 per bottle. Welcome back! We've finished with the wealth of invective leveled against Green on the 15th. Now we're going over to the Courier to see what they have to say in support of Green. A couple of things to notice here. First, the references to John Brown and the raid on Harper's Ferry, Fort Sumter, and especially military service. Both sides make references to military service for their own purposes. 
Remember how the Standard referenced the 18th Regiment of New York? Well, the Courier is about to mention three local soldiers, Silas Titus, Ezra L. Walrath, and Edwin S. Jenny. They also praise John A. Green for taking command of the 24th Brigade and whipping it into shape. As usual, you can find links to all this stuff in the show notes. How they like the Democratic nominations. May we kindly ask such men as Colonels Silas Titus, Ezra L. Walrath, Edwin S. Jenny, and other representative soldiers how they like the Democratic nomination for mayor? Standard. Our neighbor over the way has kindly asked of certain representative soldiers how they like the Democratic nomination for mayor. We, being one of the gentlemen mentioned by name in the above query, would answer in as kind a spirit as that which prompted the question. We most emphatically, sincerely, candidly, and honestly answer that the nomination of General John A. Green, Jr. for mayor of the city of Syracuse pleases us to the extent that we would give all our old clothes and throw in a pair of boots besides to secure his election. Our reasons for approving the nomination are, first, in regard to his private character, which is commendably defended by the standard itself in an editorial of the same date, and is truthful and highly complimentary to the general. It reads as follows. Against John A. Green's personal character, we have not a word to say. We respect the energy which has made him a successful merchant and given him commanding influence in commercial circles. We sympathize with the generous impulses which have made, and deservedly made, him so many friends in the social circle. As regards his political course in life, we have yet to learn that he has ever betrayed a single principle of the great Democratic Party, which is today, as it always has been, and as it always will be, the main prop and stay of the national constitution. Upon this rock of our country's salvation, the party was founded by our fathers, who abhorred all attempts at its destruction for the purpose of building up petty monarchies to be governed by unscrupulous fanatics and military chieftains, to the exclusion of inalienable rights of the white men and giving all power and dominion to the black men and their allies, the Union-hating radicals. General Green has always stood firm in the belief that the country is more prosperous in times of peace than when in commotion of civil war, and that, too, with our white brothers who claimed rights under the Constitution as they no doubt held at the time of the commencement of the late disastrous rebellion. He was opposed to that party which was organized in 1855 for the avowed purpose of creating war with our southern neighbors because they would not submit to terms degrading in their character and humiliating to that portion of the great American people. He was opposed to the first step towards irrepressible conflict which has resulted in a harvest of new-made graves and showers of bitter tears heart-gushing sorrow, and an enormous national debt, which will be an incubus and obstacle to the future prosperity of future generations. The general was opposed to the means which were employed by leading radicals in equipping a party of desperados, headed by the old fanatic John Brown, 
who invaded a neighboring state and opened the war by attacking harmless mechanics and other citizens at Harper's Ferry. It is a great mistake of many to believe that the first gun was fired at Sumter. The historian, if faithful to facts that occurred in those times, will record the fact that the first gun was caused to be fired by a party of invaders under the direction of John Brown, an agent in the interest of his masters who prompted the act and who are responsible for all the misery caused by the cruel war growing out of the radical attack on peaceful citizens of Harper's Ferry. We can consistently vote for General Greene, who, at the time when war raged the fiercest, accepted a commission from the commander-in-chief of the military forces of the state of New York, and in the space of a few weeks reorganized the 24th Brigade into such a state of proficiency and condition that it was held in readiness for any emergency that might be required of it by the commander-in-chief, and was quoted to be then, as it is now, one of the finest military organizations in the state of New York. We like the general because we believe him to be sincere and honest and a friend of all institutions that give character and prominence to our national greatness. It is true that the general is a representative candidate of the democracy as well as the people of this city. It is true that he is now, and always has been, the friend of the white man, whether a native-born or adopted citizen. It is true that his hand and purse has always been opened to relieve the distressed and aid in all good works benefiting our city. It is true that, if elected, he will guard faithfully the interests of our tax-paying citizens. It is true that he can never be induced to resort to low chicanery in office, to the disadvantage or detriment of the city, without regard to the expressed wishes of his constituency, and the flourishing city he is so competent to represent in all that apparatus to its future welfare. It is true that he will be elected mayor of Syracuse on Tuesday next if his life is spared and the Democrats do their duty and we believe they will, for they were never more united on a candidate than on General John A. Green, Jr., the next mayor of Syracuse. Fall in! The general leads to victory. Democracy to the rescue. Our city ticket, headed by General Green, calls upon the united strength of the unterrified to make another vigorous assault upon the enemy's works. Veterans of the good old democratic cause who have battled in times past against our common enemy should vie with younger soldiers in acts of duty on Tuesday next, which will lead to a complete and overwhelming victory for our nominees. Up and at them was the rallying cry of the veterans of Bonaparte's army. The same spirit should incite the democracy at the coming election. Up and at them, the victory is ours. Stick a pin there. It is amusing to hear the radicals talk of copperheads, traitors, and rebels, and then turn back to the record of their consistency as demonstrated by that union-loving, nigger-hugging party that placed upon their ticket at a charter election twelve months ago the name of a gentleman who had but just returned from Virginia, where he had amassed a fortune by manufacturing salt for the rebels. We have nothing to say against the personal and private character of the gentleman we allude to, but we do think 
That audacity like that, which was illustrated on that occasion, has no equal among the mighty copperheads. Okay, so that's the courier. Did you pay attention to the bit about John A. Green's military service? I hope so, because next time we're going to delve into what a monumental pain in the ass his command was for everyone from the average New York State Republican all the way up to Secretary of War Stanton and, yes, to Lincoln himself. All this and more on the next exciting episode of Historic Headlines. Thanks for listening, and until next time, seek context. This is Hugh Yeeman, and you've been listening to the Historic Headlines podcast. Thanks, as always, to Tom Trinisky for all his fabulous work on FultonHistory.com. Without his free repository of old newspapers, this podcast wouldn't exist. Oh, he'd fly through the air with the greatest of ease. A daring young man on the flying trapeze. His movements were graceful, the girls he could please. And my love, he stole away. 